what does Batman have to do with with God? Um, so when when you think of Batman, what comes to mind, right? Um, so he's this masked crusader, right? He maybe a little vigilante. He helps people. He uh, he has all these fancy tools, the cool car. So uh, funny story. I, we were once playing a game, and our nephew, we thought for sure he would be into Batman. I didn't know. I mean, I thought all kids liked Batman. But um, so I said something. We said something about Batman. He goes, Batman, he can't even fly. And he's useless. So, I mean, that's a good point. He can't fly. But he does have a lot of cool toys. Um, so also with Batman, there's like the Joker, the Riddler, the Penguin. But there's also Robin. And so this is really... What, where, I'm gonna, I'm gonna invite you guys to a scary place, right? My mind, right? Scary place. Uh, so this is really how I got to this today, right? Batman, or I'm sorry, Robin would always say, holy cow, or holy Toledo, or holy something or other, right? And I looked this up, and there's like, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things that Robin has said in the comics or on the TV show. Holy something. On average, on that old 30 minute TV show that used to come on, there was three holy somethings an episode, right? So he would always say holy something. Um, but Robin needs a lesson in what holy means because he never got it right. Um, and unfortunately, the church needs a lesson too because we probably don't get it right either, right? So what is holiness? It's very misunderstood, I think, right? To the average person, holiness might have something to do with having this pious attitude or maybe to be perfect, right? And that's not it at all. Um, maybe we tend to think of holiness as this fake, holier-than-thou attitude, um, superficial, trying to be better than everyone else, and that's not it either, um, right? And this phrase, holier-than-thou, sadly, is, is a way that non-Christian people think about the church, right? It, it, is, it is a problem. It's a hurdle that we have. All right, so... I once participated in a youth worker training seminar thing, right? So place you go to learn how to be a better youth worker, right? And the topic wasn't um, any, any of the new technology, right? Nothing about social culture things. Uh, it was all about holiness and not how unholy the young generation is. It was how unholy the church is that we're trying to bring them into and the hurdle that creates in their young lives. Right? So I didn't really expect all that. Um, right? I didn't expect, I expected some more practical things, not a, um, convicting lesson on our issues that's creating a problem for the young culture to join the church. All right. So, um, you guys might know a, a theologian named A.W. Tozer. So he once said that he thought the number one thing that would influence the church to be the church that God called him to be. Right. So obviously this is related to holiness, but I would think that none of us would probably think that. But he said that it's the true understanding of holiness, not even being holy, just the understanding of being holy. And he said that because his thought process was if the church had a better understanding of what it was to truly be holy, then we would be a lot better at being holy. All right. So 
So given all that, that's where we're going to go today. We're going to talk about holiness and maybe understand it better so that hopefully, as a church, we can be better. All right, so what is holiness? Start with the basics. In the Old Testament, the root word is kadash, meaning to cut or to separate, right? So that's what holy, by definition, means, to be separate. Um, In today's terms, we have the phrase, a cut above, right? So a cut above means to be like better, superior, like the best of something, right? We say it's a cut above. Um, the scriptures put it this way in Exodus 15, verse 11. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. In 1 Samuel 2, 2, we read, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. All right. Is holiness important? A.W. Tozer says it's one of the more important things. So is it important? Um, so this isn't just a theoretical concept for debate in seminaries. Um, the holiness of God is a matter of great importance to the church as a whole, but to all of us personally. Right? We should, we should be concerned with the holiness of God and then what that means for us. So there are several incidents in the Bible that point us to how important God sees holiness. And so we're going to consider one example. All right, I'm going to, it's a little bit long, but we're going to read this together. This is from Numbers 20. We're going to read 1 through 11. All right, so this is Moses in Numbers. All right, in the first month, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this desert that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff. And you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and the livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with the staff. Water gushed out. And the community and their livestock drank. All right. So Moses had every reason to be angry at these people, right? They were, had arrived at this place called, notice the place, Kadesh, also related to the word holy. Um, They were angry. They were hostile. They turned drama into a whole new art form, right? They were a mob protesting about things. They hated this place. They'd rather be dead. They prefer that Moses and Aaron be dead, right? There, there was no satisfying them, right? So Aaron and Moses first made a pretty good choice, right? They went to the tent of meeting to bring this to the Lord, all right? So that's a good choice. God gave them very specific instructions. And this is where Moses stops with the good choices, right? So God specifically said to speak to the rock and he would bless 
Instead, Moses decided, you know, he wanted to be dramatic like the rest of the gang. And so, I guess in his anger, right, he strikes the rock twice with a staff. And water still comes out, right? God still provides the water. But there's a consequence, right? And so, sidebar, regardless of what we think or how much we try to rationalize it, every sin has a consequence, right? So, Moses has a consequence here. His consequence ultimately is he doesn't go to the promised land. Um, But let's put this into perspective. Every single one of us has done something much worse than strike a rock with a piece of wood. Okay? All of us have done something much worse than that. Alright? So, Moses does that and he, he faces this consequence. So, by... By logic, it feels like, man, we're all deserving of a much worse consequence than that. Uh, but, and, and you might also think in rationalization, well, man, that seems a little harsh, right? He, you know, he's, he's doing a pretty good job. He's got a million people complaining. You know, they needed water. He still came to you. He still went to the rock. He just struck it instead of spoke to it. Is this a little harsh kind of a consequence? All right. God told, talk to Moses about this. We're going to continue the story. So verses 12 through 13, verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not. Okay, so here's the key. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he showed himself holy among them. All right, so. In a moment of anger, Moses sinned. The consequence is he doesn't get to go to the Holy Land. But the sin wasn't actually striking the rock, right? So according to what God said to Moses, the sin was that you have not believed or trusted in me, right? That's the sin. And because of that, you don't, you aren't able to treat me as the Holy Lord, right? So, so first problem not enough faith, belief, or trust, which results in not treating God in the, in the way that we should. All right, so, application for today. What do, what do we do with this? So, for application, I actually want to look at um, another scripture. All right, so we're going to go to Isaiah 6. And one through eight. So if you're, if you like following your Bible, just stay there because we're going to be coming back to this for a while. I'm going to read one through eight. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. All right. So this is about a dramatic 
a vision of God that we can that we can read about. Right. Um, so try to try to maybe clear your mind for a minute and put yourself in this place. Right. So picture the where Isaiah is, the setting, the seraphs, the throne. Right. All these things happening. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right. So try to picture put yourself in this spot. Um, so you've probably heard this before, right? So when this is holy is repeated three times, it's obviously very important, right? There's nowhere in scripture that it says God is love, 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 or God is mercy, 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 or God is grace, grace, grace. But right here we get God is holy, holy, holy. Um, so obviously there's some different importance here. So when we use the word holy to describe God, I think we're making a little bit of a mistake. Right? And if you're paying attention, your, eye, your ears probably perked up a little bit, right? Well, how can it be a mistake to say that God is holy? Um, so here's, here's what I'm getting at. Because it's difficult, because God is so big, right, so awesome, it's difficult in our human terms to describe God. So we often describe him based on his characteristics or attributes, right? So that's kind of what the best we can do, right? God is love. God is grace. God is mercy. God is just, um, right? So that tends to be how we describe God. Our mistake is we often say God is holy, right? God is holy, but that's not, that's not a broad enough description of the word holy. So here's my example. Really, it should be God's love is holy love, right? God's mercy is holy mercy. God's justice is holy justice, right? It's not just another adjective of who God is, but it's, it's really a synonym of his deity. And so we need to think of holiness as something more than just, right? It's not just another thing that God is. It's, it's a, again, it's a synonym of his perfection and of his deity, Right. So so he's not just he's not just love, mercy, grace and holy. Right. His in his deity, his love is perfect. It's holy love. Right. His mercy is perfect. It's holy mercy. All right. So let's answer this. Let's try to answer this question. Like, so what do we do with this now using these verses from Isaiah? So if you're following your notes, this is a we must discover the holiness of. Rediscover, rediscover the holiness of God. All right. All right. So the holiness of God caused Adam and Eve to hide from God in the Garden of Eden. Right. It caused Moses to cover his face. It caused John to to fall at his feet like he were dead. Right. It caused Peter to weep after the third time he denied Christ. Right. So it's the holiness of God that impacts us. Right. Impacted them. It can impact us to see God for who he really is. All right, so consider the issues that curators at museums have, right? So they have all this precious art that you can go see, but they don't want you to touch it because, right, it could be harmful possibly. So they put up these signs, please do not touch. But what happens when somebody puts up a sign that says, please do not touch? Do you want to touch it, right? It's just, it is just common, right? When you see a sign that says, please do not touch, you want to touch it. So one pretty smart curator put up a sign that said took down the sign that says do not touch and said caution wash hands after touching all right a lot less people touched it because 
now they have a new perspective of what's happening. Okay, it's completely false. It's just a trick. Nothing actually changed, but their perspective changed. Right. So this is how if we want to honor God with really who he is as a holy, perfect God, then our perspective needs to change. But willingly. Right. Not because we're tricked. Right. God God's not in the business of tricking us. But it's a good point. Our perspective has to change. We have to see God as what Isaiah saw. Right. The Lord seated on a throne. Right. Recognizing his holiness as if the as if we have angels reminding us that he's holy, holy, holy. Right. That's the perspective we must have. Um, Okay. B. We must recognize our unholiness. Right. This is what happens next to Isaiah in in sight of God's perfect holiness, Isaiah recognizes, man, I'm woefully inadequate. All right. And right. Woe to me. I'm ruined. He called out. But this is true of us. I mean, we don't like to admit it, but th- this is the truth. Compared to God, we're we're just woefully inadequate. Consider this story. A rather pompous looking deacon at a local church was trying to impress upon a class of of younger ones, the importance of living the Christian life. So he says to them, why do you think people call me a Christian? One little boy quickly raised his hand and said, probably because they don't know you. <laughs> All right. So that I mean, it's easy to make fun of people like that, but we're not that much different, honestly. Right. Um, when it comes to God and his perfect holiness, I mean, we're not even close. So. But we must recognize the difference made hopefully between us and this guy is he doesn't recognize it or he chooses to ignore it. And hopefully we recognize it and and in our humanity attempt to do something about it. Right. To be more like God. Um, so listen to these comparisons. Someone once penned. I couldn't find the author of this, but I've written a book once. Um, so he's comparing Jesus is holiness to himself. And he said, I saw the humility of Jesus and my pride, the meekness of Jesus and my temper, the faithfulness of Jesus and the deceitfulness of my heart, the unselfishness of Jesus and my selfishness, the trust and faith of Jesus and my doubts and unbelief. I got my eyes off everybody but Jesus and myself, and I came to loathe myself. Right. So this is a good example of recognizing God's holiness and 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 like we're not holy. Listen to Paul's warning. OK, so this is from Second Corinthians ten twelve. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. Right. We should only be comparing ourselves to to Jesus. It's it's a really easy temptation to fall into. Right. The comparing ourselves to others. Right. I'm at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Um, Jesus talks about this a couple of times. There's only one worthy of comparison. Right. And that is the Lord Jesus. So like Isaiah. Going on to see when we recognize God's holiness and our unholiness. We must repent of our unholiness, right? Turn away from it. Repent. When Isaiah recognized this, he immediately confessed, 
I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Right? So no matter how much we try to convince ourselves otherwise, it does no good to try to hide. Not, not to try to hide from God, right? He sees it all. He knows it all. It doesn't change anything, right? He's holy and we aren't. So if we're truly wanting to be followers of the Lord, then this is a crucial step, right? We have to recognize our unholiness and we must repent. We must turn from it. In the 18th century, one of the kings of Prussia, so that's like modern day Germany, was King Frederick, and he was on a visit to a prison in Berlin, and he made his way around talking to all the inmates. But he saw one of the inmates sitting quietly in the corner, just all to himself. So he went over and talked to that guy. What are you here for, he said. Armed robbery, your majesty. And the king said, are you guilty? He said, yes, sir, I am. I deserve all the punishment that I get. The king called all the guards to him and said, I want you to release this man immediately. I don't want... I don't want this guilty person impacting all these uh, innocent people that are around here that have been telling me how innocent they are. So uh, everybody else only wanted to tell the king how innocent they were. But, right, this guy recognized, recognized his sin and his consequence, right? And, and this is how it compares to us, right? We're unholy. God knows it. We know it, Right? We don't necessarily like to admit it, but we recognize it. But it requires us to admit it to God or repent of it in order to really be the people that God has called us to be. Right? Psalm 139, at verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Right? That's a scary prayer. I mean, but it is the prayer of, of someone who truly wants to be a follower of the Lord Jesus, right? We have to allow him to search us, to show us our, our sins, the issues of our hearts, right? The unholiness that's in us. Right? And remember, Jesus knows all those things already, but yet he wants to live in us and with us because he wants to lead us and guide us out of that into the place he's called us to be, right? So he wants to lead us into something way better than that unholiness. So, right, this is, this is a, an important question, right? Have we trusted Jesus enough to allow him into those places? Because if not, then we didn't really trust him. Right? If, we don't, if we don't trust him enough to allow him into all of the places, then we don't really trust him. Remember, this was Moses' issue from the very beginning, Right? God said, the issue here isn't that you struck the rock. It's that you don't trust me enough. Right? This is probably all of our struggles. All right. D, we must receive God's holiness. All right? So we must accept it. Um, all right? So as soon as Isaiah had recognized his unholiness, he, he repented. And God sent an angel to take a live coal to touch it to Isaiah's lips. All right, this resulted in his guilt being taken away and his sin being atoned for. All right, there is nothing that we can do for our state of unholiness. Nothing. Nothing we can do about it. Right? Only God can do something about it. On our own, we're completely helpless. Helpless. But with God, all things are possible. Right? That's just how it works. 
We can't save ourselves and we cannot sanctify ourselves. All we can do is trust God and then receive his gift by faith. Hebrews 13, 12 puts it this way. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Right. So we often think of Jesus' sacrifice as uh, right, the, the way that we receive salvation and eternal life. But, I mean, it's also part of how he wants us to be holy, right? To turn away from the unholiness so that we can be holy like him. So, this word sanctification that we read in that verse, right? That just means um, to make holy, right? To, to, to be holy. Um, it's the process of which we are becoming more holy like God. Uh, to be, also, to be separated, right? So, the... The original word of holy is to be separated, right, to be cut away. So that's what sanctification is, is allowing God to work in us, to separate us, to cut us away from unholiness, to be what he's called us to be. All right. In Acts 26, Jesus said to Paul, I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. In John 17, Jesus was praying and he asked this, sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Right? So this is extremely important to God. All right. So once we've received God's holiness into our lives by faith, we're still not finished. Um, this is a lifelong process, right? This isn't a, a one time deal, right? This is a lifetime, everyday process of committing ourselves to the Lord, accepting him into our hearts, right? Allow him, allow him access to our hearts and our minds to guide us and lead us every single day. And this is how we grow in holiness. It's a continual thing. Ludwig Namensen was a, a late 19th century missionary to uh, a, an, uh, an island, a, a tribe in Southeast Asia somewhere, um, the chief of that tribe said to him, you have two years to live with us, learn our language and our customs, but don't, but in those two years, you're not allowed to tell anybody about your belief or your religion. Okay. Two years with us and we'll see what happens after that. Okay. After the two years, the tribal leader comes to him and he says, okay, I'm willing to possibly grant you more time, but I have a question. How is it that your religion, Christianity, differs from, from our moral beliefs? We already believe that, right, you shouldn't lie, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't cheat on your spouse, you shouldn't do murder, you shouldn't do all this. We already believe all those things. So what is, how is what you want to teach us different than what we already believe? So the missionary replied, all that's true, but here's the difference. My God supplies the power that you need to do those things because everybody struggles with them. So the chief was a little bit startled and, and he said, not really understanding, he said, so you could teach my people to live better. And the missionary responded, I can't teach them to live better, but I can teach them about the person that can. Right. And that's the point. That's that's the continual process of becoming 
holy the way that God has called us to, right? We're never going to be holy, perfect in holiness, but God is calling us to be like him in holiness. So to finish that story, the chief did invite him to stay to teach about his religion. And many of the villagers became Christians. Um, and ultimately, the chief recognized for the people that Christianity was better than their beliefs because their God, the Christian God, walks with them and leads them. And, and in their belief, you know, that didn't happen. And they recognized that they needed that. All right. E, our last one. We must respond to God's call. <clears throat> All right. So near the end of that passage in Isaiah, Isaiah recognized right, God's call to him. And right, he responds, here I am. Here I am. Like, I want to I want to respond to you, God. We must. OK, if we really follow this process, right, we really recognize God is holy, our unholiness. We repent and turn from it. We accept him into our life, right? If that process is actually ongoing in our lives, then there should be some uh, sort of heart filled with, with thanksgiving and joy, right, from that. So out of that thanksgiving and joy should come also some compassion and willingness to serve the God who's done that for us. So I'm going to conclude with this story. So this is a true story about a, uh, I guess what we would call a park ranger, but I don't think they call him that in Canada. But a park ranger in Canada in the winter, um, there's a storm. They were afraid of avalanches. So he was going out to, to check to make sure there were, you know, people were safe. They knew there were a lot of people in the park. Um, at some point he becomes Maybe a little, he'd been out in the elements a little too long. He makes his way to where he knows there's a cottage. But it's, this is a very interesting part of the story. So he is so cold and, and just so hypothermic. That's a word. I think it is. Um, he's, uh, he's, he's kind of lost his faculties, right? So he doesn't light a fire. He doesn't change his clothes. He just kind of lays down. So... He has a St. Bernard with him, right? We've seen these stories about St. Bernard saving people in the winter. And it really is true. So the St. Bernard, like, just lays on him, licks him, gets him up enough to change his clothes, start a fire, and he actually ends up surviving. So he says later that, of that experience, that at, I've, I've thought before, man, that I'm cold. He says that when you get to that point of where, where you're going to die because you're cold, you actually feel warm a little bit. And it just sucks you into this idea of just laying down and giving in. Right. And so then the comparison, the comparison he makes is that that this is a powerful illustration of of being OK with our unholiness. Right. That we might that it's easy to just feel like, hey, everything's OK and everything is not OK. Right. The consequences of that is death. That guy was maybe seconds away from dying if, in this case, a dog didn't help him, right? In our case of unholiness, if we don't allow Jesus to help us, I mean, our eternal, like, you know, eternally, we're, our punishment is going to be death. And not just our physical death, but our spiritual death. So, and then as 
if we are people who have who believe in this holiness, how important it is to God, how important it is to us, we should also be like that St. Bernard, right? We should be helping people see their need for finding holiness in their lives, too. So Isaiah had this very dramatic, very powerful interaction with the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy is he. So my question is, have we had that same that same interaction, because we need it, right? Tozer said that the number one thing, the number one important thing in the, for a church to be, the church that God called it to be, was to understand the holiness of God, right? So I am certainly not as, as theologically, theologically um, intelligent as A.W. Tozer. So I'm not going to argue with him. It certainly is important, right? Um, Certainly is important. And each of us needs to recognize our need individually for holiness. And then as a church family, right, what Tozer was saying, that as a church, if that's important to us, it will really impact not just us, but the community around us. All right, let's pray. Lord, we believe, but help our unbelief. And search us, Lord. It can be scary to, to, to really let you search our hearts and our minds. I know it can be scary for me. I'm sure it can be scary for all of us. But do that, Lord. Search our hearts. Test our thoughts. Help us to recognize you as the Holy One, worthy of all of our praise. We do recognize our unholiness, Lord. I recognize, I recognize my unholiness. I pray that each of us would. Lord, we pray you'll give us the strength and the courage to follow you in holiness. Sometimes it's easier to be like that ranger to just give up. But Lord, help us to help us to have the strength and courage to follow you in holiness. We know that we aren't worthy. We're certainly not strong enough in our own power. But we put our trust in the one who is. So lead us, Lord, into your righteousness. And may you get the honor and praise. Amen.